Well, thank you uh, to Linda and Kirk for doing our reading this morning. I know it was a longer one. And uh, this morning we're celebrating the third Sunday in Advent. I don't know if I introduced myself or not. I'm Jenny Gephardt. I'm the associate pastor here at Bethany Northeast, and I have the privilege of sharing with you all this morning. Um, Anyways, we're celebrating the third Sunday in Advent, as you may have seen. This is why we light three candles today. Advent is a four-week-long season, give or take a few days, and it's a season of preparation in the church calendar. We've celebrated it for hundreds of years in the church, uh, and churches all around the world are celebrating this today, this third Sunday of Advent. And for many traditions, this is a more somber time. It's a time of waiting and fasting and really preparing ourselves to be celebrating the birth of Christ in a few weeks. And this year at Bethany, we are spending this Advent season uh, focused on the five senses. And so that's touch and smell and taste, those five senses, so that we might be able to think about preparing our very senses for celebrating Christmas morning and Christmas Eve, uh, perhaps in a new way or for the first time for a few of us. And you might have guessed by now, but today is uh, the sense of hearing or sound, which is why I had you paying attention to sounds in this scripture passage we had read. And we're going to be looking at how our ability to hear sound is actually a gift from God. And it's deeply connected to our relationship with God. And I mean physical sound, as many of us in this room are able to hear physical sound, but also I mean the ability to kind of understand inwardly, to process, to take in information and then process it. And so this ability to hear and understand is crucial actually to our life with God. And to look at this today, we're looking at a very familiar story in scripture, the one you just heard. I will never forget on Christmas mornings, my dad would sit us down in front of the tree full of presents and and read this story very slowly and methodically. And it would drive me crazy as a little kid. As I got older, it was much more special. But uh, it took forever to get for my dad to get through this story. But it's very familiar, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, someone reminded me this morning that this is the story Linus tells. So even if you didn't grow up in the church, if you ever watched Peanuts, you've probably heard this story. And this morning, we just learned, heard it read aloud again. And I'm hopeful that some of you were able to sort of pay attention to it. It's hard when something's so familiar to really continue to process it and hear it. We often kind of let things wash over us when they are so familiar, even carols like the one we just sang. And so my prayer for us this morning, and I'm actually going to invite you to pray for this along with me, is that we'd be able to find something new or at least something that God has for us in this story today. Let's pray for that now. Lord God, we give you thanks that we have this story recorded of your son's birth. It is an incredible gift for us. Would we not take it for granted? As our kids are studying this morning and our youth, God, we ask you would bless their time. Would you give them ears to hear and hearts to understand, God, more of who you are? And we pray the same thing for us today. Meet us here in this place by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, some of you know, Matt and I took a vacation a few months ago. I may have even talked about it in another sermon. We were up in Jasper and Banff in the Canadian Rockies. And it was an incredible trip. Uh, We spent seven straight nights in our tiny two-person backpacking tent under the stars. Uh, It was below freezing or at freezing pretty much every night. 
And the miracle is we both loved it, every minute of it. We loved it. But we encountered some things we'd never encountered before. For instance, one night we're driving, uh, we had gone into town for like a dinner that was cooked and hot and delicious, and we were driving back to our campsite because we were car camping that night. And it's dark, and there's a car facing us on the other side of the road, uh, and it's flashing its very bright lights at us. And I think, okay, that's really annoying. What's he doing? And I'm processing this aloud with Matt. What's that guy doing over there? And I'm full speed ahead. Well, it turns out, in that country, there's a reason someone might be flashing their lights at you from the other side of the road. And we missed an elk by six inches that night on the road driving, and this car was so generously trying to warn us. But it was a new experience. That's not something I experienced here in Seattle. Second, we also experienced uh, carrying, for me, Matt has done this before, carrying a bear canister um, for the first time, using these bear-proof garbage cans for the first time. And one last little tidbit from our trip. Uh, we were in Jasper National Park one night camping in the backcountry of the Tonkin Valley, if any of you know kind of the terrain up there. And we'd gotten into our tent at like 7 p.m. because it had started to rain. And if you've camped at all, you know that the, probably the driest place is either your car, which we didn't have, or the tent. So we're in the tent. It's 7 o'clock, and we're lying awake, kind of just reading and... Suddenly, we hear this rumbling sound overhead. It's loud. And both of us were like, what is an airplane doing in the middle of the backcountry in Canada? Like, we haven't seen a plane or heard a plane this whole trip. That's so strange. Maybe it's a rescue plane. We were kind of musing about it and then forgot about it. Well, the next morning, we're making breakfast in the food prep area. The Canadians are very organized about their backcountry campsites. So there's a food prep area. And some other backpackers joined us. And they were, were chatting, and at one point they asked us, hey, did you guys hear the glacier cracking last night? And I was like, oh, yeah, we did, but I had no idea that that's what that was. Uh, I had never heard it before, and so my sense of hearing failed me because I didn't have context to understand what was happening. And I share this story, you may have guessed, because we're talking about the sense of hearing this morning. We're talking about what it is to hear and understand. And I think at the outset, we often take for granted that we can hear, most of us in this room, and that often we think our hearing is better than it is. So we take it for granted on one hand, and on the other, we, we, we think we can hear and understand perfectly every time. And that's not true, as we're going to learn. In today's culture, I think we're inundated with sound, right? And with information, and you have to go farther and farther actually into the wilderness to even find places that are not polluted by noise. They talk about how there's very few places left where that's true. Uh, and we have television and music and radio all competing for our ears' attention, much less our phones and our cars and, and the people in our lives who want our attention. And, and yet I would suggest that with all of this sound, we've become a pretty visual culture that we like to see things, or we think we do. I'm much more likely to retain information when I see it than when I hear it, or I think that's true. I, I think that's why we have name tags here at Bethany Northeast, so that when you meet someone, have you ever done this? Have you ever met someone and asked, hey, what's your name? And literally five seconds later, nope, I don't remember what they just said, just said. A name tag helps with that, because I think we're so overloaded with information, with inputs, 
to our ears, that we sort of half hear most of it. Maybe you've listened to a news story on the radio. This happens to me too in the car. And I'll be really interested, and something will distract me, and I'll realize I've been listening, but not listening this whole time. And we certainly do this with people. I do this with Matt too often, especially lately, it seems like, as things are more busy, where I won't hear what he says. I often will make a very enlightened and smart comment about something going on to Matt, only for him to tell me he just said the exact same thing to me. And I, I didn't hear it. I thought I was being so clever. We have a tendency to abuse our, our sense of hearing. We who are hearing people take it for granted. And then I think we misuse it. And Jesus knew this. He knew this to be true of us as humans because he routinely would end his parables and teachings with the phrase, he who has ears, or she who has ears, let him hear. Meaning, let him really hear this. Let's, let's not let this go in one ear and out the other. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is standing in a boat. He's offshore on a lake because the crowds are so big. And he's teaching a, a parable about a farmer who goes out to sow some seed. And it falls on all kinds of different soils. And only the seed that falls on the rich soil, he says, is the one that grows strong and produces a strong crop. And after he finishes, his disciples ask Jesus, why are you speaking to the people in parables? Most likely they're thinking, why don't you just say what you mean, Jesus? This is hard. Why, take, why make us sort of try to figure this out on our own? And Jesus responds to them by quoting Isaiah, the prophet. This has been a problem, by the way, for a long time. It's not just our culture that makes us abuse our sense of hearing or not hear well. The prophet Isaiah, Jesus quotes, he says, I speak to the people in parables because those seeing they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear. It is just as Isaiah said, you will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Ouch, right? But I know I often am hardly hearing with my ears that this applies to me. And today we're just taking the opportunity to try to not be this people who hardly hears, to open our ears. And as we're turning to our Luke passage, and I know uh, we're getting into the outline, I promise. As we turn to our Luke passage, I believe we'll see that God is speaking to us at every turn, in every part of our lives, and even through almost every sound we're hearing. And first we're going to see, the question is, what are we hearing? Do we have ears to hear? Do we have hearing to really understand? And what I think we'll find is that both Mary and the shepherds in this passage have a lot to teach us about what true hearing looks like. And there's three stages to this that we're going to unpack. This is your outline in your bulletin today. First, what, we're going to look at what does it mean to make our sense of hearing into an act of listening as well. And then second, we're going to consider the act of pondering and how that relates to what we've heard. And third, really briefly, we're going to look at the connection between hearing and response. So first, let's look at some of the details in this text that you heard, and maybe some of them you'll have noticed as well. We're going to see what kind of listening looks like in this passage. And so we learn from Luke, the writer, first, there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken. 
And keep in mind that much of this culture in Jesus's time was not literate 2,000 years ago. And so this information would have had to be repeated verbally by messengers, by local politicians in towns and villages. And I'm going to invite you to, do, to put yourself in three different people's shoes. First, we're going to put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. And you have just heard a proclamation, if you're Joseph, that you're going to have to travel on foot 80 miles or more to get back to your hometown of Bethlehem just so that you can put your name on a list, so to speak, there for this census. You don't know who in your family you have left there, and you're going to have to bring your fiancé, who's nine months pregnant, with you. What is your reaction to hearing that proclamation? Is it anger at the messenger? Is it resignation? Are you seeking to hear God's voice in the midst of that news? Okay, so that's the first one. We're going to do these quickly. Second, Mary. Think about Mary's perspective now as we learn in Luke next that a birth happens while they're in Bethlehem. Mary is presumably alone, really alone, in the company only of her fiancé. And they haven't been able to find any lodging. We know this. But her water's broken. Her contractions have started. And this baby's coming, kind of no matter where they're at. And you can hear Joseph's anxious words, perhaps, calling for help in town, frantically searching for somewhere to put this baby when it's born, pulling out hay and feed out of a feeding trough in order to create a place for this baby. Maybe you can hear the absence or the silence of no mother's voice there, no sister's voice there, no friend. You can hear your own hard breathing. You can hear your own gasps of pain. You can hear distant sounds maybe of people reveling in the town, reminding you that you're almost alone. And of course, you can hear chickens and cattle maybe, maybe goats bleeding. And then finally, you get to hear your baby cry. And Joseph exclaiming with joy and uttering this baby's name, Jesus. And I would argue that you might be trying to block out the rest. Forget that you're alone and away from family. Forget that you're in a barn. Forget that your baby's in a feeding trough. Or you could really listen to all of it, even the painful, difficult sounds, and seek to hear God's voice. So that's the second perspective. The third, the final scene we heard this morning, is that of the shepherds. And we'll learn from Luke that nearby there's shepherds out in the field. They're probably just a mile or two away. They're not far. And some of them are still awake because they're keeping watch over these sheep to make sure they're okay. And now I'd invite you to put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. What are they hearing? You're probably hearing sheep bleeding. You're probably hearing a lot of silence, maybe a snoring sound from one of your compatriots who's sleeping. But then suddenly you hear someone approaching you and someone massive, something unlike anything you've ever seen or experienced or heard. And it must be an angel. And it can't be good. Something's wrong. This kind of thing happens to Abraham and Moses, not to me. I, this isn't something I would hear, I would experience as a shepherd, as an uneducated person. And then you hear the voice and it's an angel telling you not to be afraid, that this is good news, that it holds, this news holds the best joy 
for all of humankind. And you hear that it's a baby that's been born just a few miles down the road, and he's lying in a feeding trough, and he's a baby who's going to be a savior, a messiah, a king, the one Israel's been waiting for. And then suddenly you hear more angels, right? And they're singing loudly and giving praise to God and promising peace to our world. And as a shepherd that night, you could hear all of this in a few different ways too. You could be so caught up in what you just saw that you didn't really listen to what the angel said, which would likely cause you to cower in fear. Or you could be so cynical that no one would ever believe you what you just saw. Maybe you just had too much wine to drink tonight and it's, we should forget about it and focus on what we're doing, making sure our sheep are okay after all of this hubbub. Or you could believe that this extraordinary experience is true and that every word and every sound you just heard was from God. So these are just three little vignettes from this passage I share with you as we unpack what it means to really be listening to the sounds in our lives. It can be easy to maybe at the outset say, these folks had it easy. They all had angels appear to them at some point. Mary did, Joseph did, these shepherds did. God never speaks to me like that. Which, by the way, God has never spoke to me like that, personally. And for me, listening to God is way harder, you might say. And I'd say, one, you're right. These were extraordinary times, extraordinary circumstances. But I would also say that God was speaking in ways that were quite ordinary in these stories. And we're going to look at this as we move into the next stage, but I kind of want to pause for a minute and just ask you to consider what sounds are in your life right now. Are you, and are you really listening? And particularly listening for God's voice. Because God speaks in many, many more ways than just through his angels. And so, for example, a few examples. One, you might be working super long hours right now at a job. It can be a busy time of year for many businesses, big or small. So maybe the sounds you're hearing are of managers with lots of tension in their voices, barking orders. Maybe you're hearing coworkers gossiping, complaining a lot. Maybe you're hearing an admin assistant whose voice sounds like it's on the edge of tears and is just tired all the time. What are you hearing in the place you're in the most right now? So for others of you, you're staying home with kids, perhaps. Are you hearing a child throwing temper tantrums? Or a baby who's not stopping crying? Or it seems like that. Are you hearing sullen silence from maybe a teenager who's trying to create distance, or it seems like that? Or maybe you're hearing the quiet of an empty house while the kids are at school. Maybe you're hearing laughter and joyful sounds. What are you hearing in your life right now? And finally, one other example, maybe you're caring for aging parents. I remember pretty well my parents going through this phase. Are you hearing a, a mom complain about her health, or a father's bitter words over losing his independence? Are you hearing a mother-in-law whose disapproving tone you keep hearing? Or at the same time, maybe you're hearing a story you've heard for the hundredth time, or the hundred and first time, the same story. But what are you hearing? And are you really listening, is my challenge for us, out of this first piece? Are you trying to block it out? Are you trying to make it stop? Get to the next vacation. Get to the next weekend. Or are you truly listening? Truly listening involves, most of all, from my experience, being 
present in the moment. Being present where you are and believing that God is speaking and working, even in the mundane, everyday noise of our lives. And I think listening to Jesus in our lives can be easier than we make it out to be. We can start with the mundane, everyday sounds of our lives and ask God to show us where he's speaking in those. And this brings us to the second stage of true hearing, which is this act of pondering. And I recognize that this is not a word we are kind of bringing up in everyday language. Oh, I was pondering that last night, yes. I think we actually hold negative connotations. Um, and the, the related word to ponder is ponderous, which means... And from the dictionary, slow and clumsy, dull, laborious, excessively solemn. Yeah, ponderous. Or to sit and ponder something often sounds like a luxury the everyday person does not have, right? But as we know, this verse showed up in verse 19, or this word showed up in verse 19 of our passage today. We read that Mary treasured up all these things that had happened to her and pondered them in her heart. And the Greek word here for ponder is symbolo, symbolo, and it actually doesn't have a completely positive connotation in Greek language either. It means to converse or to confer with oneself, to kind of have a conversation with yourself. And it can even mean to encounter something uh, even in a hostile way. So it can kind of mean to fight with something inwardly or to try and reconcile two things that don't make sense together. And I want to recap, given that explanation or de definition, I want to recap what Mary has experienced so far. She's pregnant with a child she had no part in conceiving. She's engaged to Joseph and just made an 80-mile journey on foot while nine months pregnant. We covered that. And when they finally make it to our destination, there's literally nowhere to stay. And so, yes, an angel met with her nine months ago, and told her about how she was going to give birth to the Son of God. But since then, life has not been that easy. And giving birth far away from any family or friends, without any bed, any comfort, must have been difficult. She and Joseph were poor and alone. And right now, they appear to be basically homeless. In our language today, that would be a, a word for it. And when Jesus is born, the angels don't appear to Mary again. No host of heaven is singing for her. And so her pondering isn't necessarily some lovely reflection on all these wonderful things that have happened to her. It's her encountering her reality, which appears pretty bleak right now, actually, while still believing that God is working through it and is faithful to his promise. And that it was no accident that Jesus was born in that manner. I wonder if any of us can relate to this. Or maybe we believe something that God is doing in us is, is supposed to happen and nothing like that is happening in our lives. I believed, as an example, strongly that I had heard God call me to become a pastor. It, it was 2008 at a summer camp in Wisconsin and it was actually the closest I have come to God sort of speaking directly to me. And so I moved back to Seattle, and I enrolled in seminary instead of finding a full-time accounting job, and I found a part-time accounting job and started working and going to school and following this path. And then three and a half years later, I'd been working two jobs and full-time seminary, and I graduated, and I didn't have a job lined up. 
And I wasn't even sure I wanted one, to be honest. My time in seminary was actually one of the hardest seasons of my life. And I've left me with student loans. It left me pretty exhausted because of all I had been kind of juggling. I got married in that season. It was a lot. And I was kind of ready to go back to accounting and forget everything about that summer that God had spoke to me in 2008. But God was still speaking. And I spent a year and a half just working full time as an accountant, but continuing to try and say, God, if, if there's something else you have for me, show me. And I easily could have just blocked out the signs that God was actually, I believe, leading me here to Bethany Northeast. But I could have easily not listened, not seen those signs. And I think maybe because it seemed like nothing was happening, right? It seemed like God was not working in my life. So many of you might believe something like this, that you're called to be a mom or a dad. And yet the story is, no, 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 I can't get pregnant infertility. Or maybe you're facing unemployment and you're hearing the silence of a phone that refuses to ring and you're struggling to figure out how that reconciles with the fact that God is your provider. Pondering is the act of slowing down enough to think about what doesn't make sense in your life and seeking to hear God's voice in that and seeking to have God help bring together something that doesn't make sense. If I had bothered as a more lighthearted example, to stop and ponder the sound of an airplane in the middle of the Canadian wilderness at night, I probably could have come to the conclusion that that's not what I was hearing. But we didn't spend much time on it. It wasn't a big deal. But at a more a deeper level, if I'd pondered the fact that there were no jobs available when I graduated seminary, I might have come to the conclusion, especially with hindsight, and hear me, sometimes that's when this happens, I might have come to the conclusion, and I have now, that God might desire to give me a season of rest and preparation after this hard season of my life before launching into a new career. Pondering allows us to maybe make connections between stories that seem incongruent and allow us to hear God's voice where we maybe never would have thought we'd hear it. I think that Mary, coming back to our story, If she had not taken this step and pondered this and really sought to make sense of it and what God was doing in her midst, if she hadn't done that, I don't think we'd be reading this story today because I don't think it would exist. Through her reflection, she must have concluded that God had a reason for Jesus to be born in a stable with a trough for a crib and poor shepherds as his first visitors she must have concluded that these aren't peripheral, incidental details, but that the manner of her son's birth was actually core to the story God was writing. If she tried to block it out, if she tried to say, gosh, no one will believe he's the son of God if this is the story I tell, I'm going to block that out. I'm not going to repeat this to anyone. We would miss out on what God was doing we'd have no record of it. And so I want to pause and remind us, God knew exactly what God was doing with Mary. His birth is not royal. It's not privileged in any way. God, Christ was born, the Son of God, on the streets, essentially. And it's quiet, and it's humble, and it's utterly poor. And God says, yes, this is my kingdom. It's not of this world. The birth of God's Son communicates to every one of us 
that God seeks to lift up the poorest, that the last shall be first, that the least shall be greatest, and that the greatest hope from this world could start from what we see as insignificant. And I think if we fail to take this step of pondering of what we heard, what we experienced, we fail to seek to understand how God really wants to be writing our story, even the hard parts. This happens to Abraham and Sarah. This happens all over the Bible where where people fail to sort of ponder their circumstances. Abraham and Sarah are promised a child even in their old age, and then it doesn't come even though an angel did appear to them. And what do they do? They try to take matters in their own hands instead of saying maybe God is trying to show something to the world by taking his time. When Israel is waiting on the mountain for Moses to come back down from Sinai after speaking with God, they don't stop to ponder why it might be taking a long time, that God might actually have a lot to say to Moses. They simply assume God's abandoned them and they build a new God. And when we fail to take this step, we fail to understand how God's truth fits into our story. And I want to argue this morning that God is speaking and working through even the things that make the least sense in our lives. And for us, that means not shutting out the noises that are painful or that are hard or or that are mundane. It means taking them in. It means being present even in our suffering, in order to see how God might be working in our midst. And this probably is going to look different for each of us, but I want to propose what pondering might look like for you. For me, there's a couple ways I think I do this well. One is to um, ponder aloud in the car while I'm driving. And really, this is a form of prayer, but just talking to God about what I might be worrying about or what I might be frustrated about. And I look silly, but thankfully Bluetooth has made me look much less silly doing this. And then second, I'm not consistent about it, but journaling helps me do this really well. I'm an introvert. Writing is very powerful to me as a way to process what's happening. There are other amazing ways. For you, if you're a verbal processor, then probably being with people and talking about your life and the deep things that are happening is a really powerful way to ponder what God's doing and invite feedback. For all of us, I think going to scripture and sort of reading what's there and trying to make sense of it with our lives, that's what this is. There's one other way, there's many. There's one other way I want to share with you. And that is that I think poetry does this really uniquely well. Poetry, as I was reading just a few poems this week, really often is trying to take two ideas and put them together that are totally different. And I invite you, if you are artistic in any way, and I'm not, I'd I'd never attempt to write poetry, but if you are, to use this as an outlet. And I have a poem I will read from Richard Wilbur actually at the end of our time this morning um, as a blessing for our benediction because it's it's a beautiful poem about a way that God uses Christ's birth and Christ's death and the connection between the two that a poet just figures out a way to make beautiful. So these are some ways that pondering really can happen in your life, hopefully in accessible ways. But I think it's such an important step to us awakening our senses. And I promised finally, and this will be quick, the third response, or the third stage of kind of hearing we have this morning is that of 
responding, allowing the story to change you, allowing what you've heard to actually transform your life. And this, we will return, for this, we'll return to the shepherds. We read in verse 15 that their response to hearing the angels speak to them was not cynicism. It wasn't fear. It was, it was true listening. They respond. And what do they do? They, they act. They run, I believe, into town to see this new baby. And they start asking people, I imagine, where was the birth that happened tonight? Where is that baby that's lying in a feeding trough? We heard from God about him. And eventually they find the baby Jesus and their response is to start telling everyone. And then in verse 20, we read that the shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were exactly as they had been told. And ultimately, the shepherds do two things in that passage to respond. First, they talk about it. They communicate what they've heard from God. They start to let it transform their conversations. And second, they worship God. Their response of worship is a testament to what they've heard. And it's not a response of pride that God has chosen them of all people. It's not a response of fear, which was a real fear that they would be jailed by the Roman guards for speaking of a king other than Caesar. It's a response of worship, of praise. And this is probably a good litmus test to whether or not we are hearing from God or, and we're really listening to Jesus' voice. Because is what you're, that's that question would be, what, is what you're hearing giving you cause for praise? Is it overflowing into your life and into your speech? And the f- challenge I face is that fear often kind of keeps me from this third step. The fear of telling someone who maybe isn't a believer in Christ or someone who is but maybe isn't quite as excited about Jesus as I am, I, I get afraid that I'm going to come on too strong if I talk about what God's been telling me. Fear can be a hugely limiting factor in allowing ourselves to be transformed by what we're hearing. And so I encourage you to think about that as you are seeking in this season especially to be hearing from God. My challenge to you would be, what is the response? What is the action that's resulting? Are you hearing from God? Are you worshiping in response? Are you telling other people about it? And if you're not, What's keeping you from that? That's all the time I have for those points today. Although, I will tell you, as I was heading into the study, I was like, what am I going to talk about a sense sound for? Well, I had a lot to say, actually, and I had to cut it down. So this is an exciting thing. This idea of experiencing God through our senses is something I've learned is really exciting. So if you have desire to hear more, I have resources for you. But to conclude this morning, I want to actually bring us back to Matthew 13 that I started talking about, uh, where Jesus talks about this farmer and his seeds, and the disciples want an explanation for it. Because I think Jesus spoke in parables so often because he was trying to get people to really listen to him and to ponder what he was saying. And I think he knew that we have trouble hearing, especially something that is new to us or something that's unsettling to us. We will block it out. We'll hear something different than what's actually said. We'll dismiss it outright. We'll pass over it. And Jesus spoke in parables so that we might have to think about it in hopes that this added step would cause us to really lean in and know our God more deeply. 
And as we hear and read scripture in our lives, which is certainly an important part of our ability to listen to what God's saying, it can be easy to pass over it and dismiss what it said because it's not relevant to today or because it's, we've heard it so many times before that we don't have anything new to learn. And Jesus would say, listen, hear. Truly hear what I'm saying. And in the same way, I think we hear the mundane or the frightening or the painful sounds in our lives, and it can be easy to shut those out as well, to try and make them disappear. And yet I would say the Spirit of God is speaking through those things. In the scriptures always, but in our lives, in our everyday lives. And how do we know if we're hearing him? Are we really listening? And I would encourage myself included to be learning how to listen and be present with what's being heard around me and then ponder and and seek to respond i'm going to invite our musicians back up and i'm going to pray for us but i'm actually going to have them not play for a couple minutes and i'm going to have us sit in silence which can be uncomfortable i know And I'm going to invite you to just have a think for a moment about what sounds you are hearing in your life right now. What sound do you hear most? And whatever that comes to mind, ask God to speak to you through it. That's my encouragement to you today. And be listening in this Advent season and preparing your heart for the celebration of what God has done in Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll have about two minutes of silence, and then our musicians will begin to play. Lord God, we come before you knowing that we so often hardly hear what's around us, the people around us, the noises around us, and often, God, you speaking to us. We ask that you would open our ears, that we might really be able to hear your voice speaking in ordinary ways and extraordinary ways, God. And now as we contemplate where you're speaking in our lives, we ask you would speak to us by your spirit and help us to know more about who you are and your son, Jesus, through this, through this time. Amen.